Welcome to My Life Chassidus Supplied, episode 428. This is a special Yutas Kislev edition. This program is made possible by the Hustle Wig, comfortable and affordable hatfalls at thehustlewig.com. Yutas Kislev, 224 years ago, the Alter Rebbe was released from prison. The year was Tovkuf Nuntes, corresponding to the English year of 1788. For 53 days, the Alter Rebbe sat in prison. He was arrested on Chofhei Tishrei, the 25th of Tishrei, and released on Yutas Kislev. Now we know that God controls the world, no one else. So the fact that the Altareb was arrested, even though the ostensible reason was due to a informers, his opponents, informing on him for the different excuses or reasons, but the truth is, as the Rabbeim explained to us, Yutas Kislev represented a challenge in heaven. Whether the Altareb's approach of teaching chassidus to the masses in a way that can be understood by all people, in Chabad, Chochmah bin Adas, with human intelligence, is the right way or not. And when the Alter Rebbe is released from prison, that was vindicated. So it became known as Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. It's also, interestingly, corresponds on the same day, 250 years ago, is the yard site of the Alter Rebbe's master and teacher, Rebbe, the Mizritcha Magid, Rab Dave Ber of Mizritch. We know Megalgan Schus Liyem Zakai, the Hilula and Istalkus, and Yorzeit of a Tzadik, is a very powerful day, as the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, the day when all the Aved and all the work of that Tzadik gathers together and elevates, and then draws, draws down, Upol Yeshua's Beket of Aretz, achieve salvations, even the depths of the abyss of this earth. So on that day, when the Rebbe, of the Alter Rebbe, that special day was the day that the Alter Rebbe was released from prison. So let's discuss a bit what exactly is the significance of this day. Because the first obvious question is, why is Yutas Kisl referred to as Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus? As one person wrote, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, hello from Woodstock, New York. Yutas Kislev is often referred to as the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. Can you explain, can you please explain the connection to Rosh Hashanah? Usually Rosh Hashanah is associated with a time of judgment, time of prayer for material blessings for the new year and a renewal of us coronating Hashem as our king. What is the connection of the Alter Rebbe's freedom from prison after being exonerated from false and malicious charges to any of the things associated with Rosh Hashanah. Thank you. So Rosh Hashanah, yes, the Rosh Hashanah you're referring to in the month of Tishrei, the first day of the year, of, Tish, of the year, first day of Tishrei, is indeed a Yemadin and has many other aspects. Tam lechuni alechem, carnating the goddess king. But remember there are other Rosh Hashanah. There's a Rosh Hashanah Leilonis, for example, to Bishvat. On the 15th of Shvat. That's not about coronating the king. And it's not necessarily a day of judgment. Well, we'll soon discuss day of judgment. But it's still a Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah, like the very word and name implies, the head of the year. It means not just the beginning of the year, but the head that is like the central nervous system from which the entire year, every day of the year, gleans its energy. So in that sense, Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus means the Yutas Kislev, the events that occurred then, are Rosh Hashanah, Rosh, like the head from which the entire year draws energy from in the world of Chassidus, which is why we greet each other. Like you see in Hayyim Yom, the Rebbe writes, this is from the Rabbeim, that on Yutas Kislev we greet each other. Lashon Teva, the Lima Dachsidus, or Bedaki Achsidus, Tikoseva V'chasich 
but specifically in limud v'dakiyachsidus, in the study and in the paths of chasidus. Now remember, judgment is not just a day of judgment of right and wrong. Judgment is also a day of accountability. Since on Rosh Hashanah we know what would happen on Rosh Hashanah was the birthday of the human race. Adam and Chava were created. The sixth day of creation, the purpose, the crown jewel of creation. So on that day it's a day of accountability, which is a far better word than just judgment. Judgment means that we take stock, soul search, introspection. Where do we stand? And we stand before God and we give a dim v'cheshben. We give a report, an audit of our behavior. So the same thing with chsidis. In Limad chsidis and Dark chsidis, Shoshana is a day of accountability. But let's go back. Why Yutas Kislev? So Yutas Kislev is because, as we said, was the day the Alter Rebbe was released from prison. As I mentioned before, everything that happens down below is because it has a deeper root. Ashgacha Pratis in general, divine providence, but especially when you're talking about a Rebbe, a Tzaddik, a Neshama Chadosh, a Neshama. So let's go to the next question. And that is, which we discussed last week, but I'll go over it again, it's worthwhile. Why would the Alter Rebbe be in trouble in the spiritual course for teaching Chsidis? Why would there ever be anything wrong with teaching Torah? It's so obvious that the Alter Rebbe did it for positive reasons to inspire everyone, and not, God forbid, for the wrong reasons. So I want to publicly voice my objection and say it's unfair that the Alter Rebbe had to suffer in a Russian dungeon. Uh, again, there's a reverent voice that some people use. Hashem needs to make amends with Alter Rebbe and the community, and the best way to do so is to send Mashiach right away. So amen to that. I would be careful about God making amends, because on the contrary, Yitzhak Kislev is a great gift that we were given. Had Alter Rebbe not been in prison, we would never have this Rosh Hashanah. So though, yes, it was 53 days of painful days, but it led to something great, as the Rebbe Rashab says in Teir Sholem, one of his sikhs, that even though it's difficult to say, but Yutas Kislev, the imprisonment and the freedom and the liberation was similar to what the Gemara says, that an olive does not produce its oil until it's pressed. In other words, the Alter Rebbe was pressured the pain that he went through, the so-called setback, actually led to the oil that would be produced. And oil, of course, is an analogy for Primus Atera, Rosen de Rosen de Reise, the secrets of all secrets. Now, why does it have to be that way? The way God created the world. Neshama comes down to this world, in this material world, and that's where it excels. And Neshama in Gan Eden, in heaven, as spiritual as it may be, can never achieve what it achieves in this world. That's why we call a neshama, where does a neshama truly travel? When it's challenged, when there's resistance, when there's an obstacle. That's when you dig deeper, you gather your resources, and you achieve the greatest possible things. A soul in heaven can never do that. The comfort zone of its spiritual environment doesn't allow it to be there. So it's not that we're looking for the pain, not that we're looking for any aggravation. It's understanding the process of how growth comes. You guide the mitzosi. There's an element of effort and exertion that's necessary. Obviously, we pray to God that it should be with a minimum amount of pain. But all growth will come through some form of resistance. The symptom, the concealment, leads to a greater revelation. But the question is, what was the problem with teaching Torah, teaching Chassidus? Isn't that the purpose of creation? To come to this world and teach Torah. Alter Rebbe, the great leader he was, the great sage, the great the gone, the scholar, the leader he was, what was he doing? He was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. What do you want him not to teach Chassidus? God forbid. So what was the problem? Why was there a challenge? But if you look through history, you'll see it's always that way. Whenever there's a great revelation, there's always going to be resistance. When Moshe went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, the angels resisted. They said to Hashem, no, give us the Torah. This precious uh, treasure. And Moshe, Hashem tells Moshe to respond, and he says, let's look in the Torah and see what it says. 
I am your God that took you out of Egypt. And Moshe turned to the angels and said, Were you ever in Egypt? It says, Honor your parents. Do you have parents? Leisignev, you shouldn't steal. Do you want to steal? Do you have a temptation to steal? So clearly the Torah was given for the Leib not in heaven, for this world. So there's a challenge. But on a deeper level, why is there a challenge? Because the stakes are high. When there's great revelation, God created the world, there's a parallel world that opposes. But it not opposes because it wants to oppose, because that's how God made it. Like the Alter Rebbe explains at the end of chapter 9 in Tanya, for example, about the animal soul. So what does he say? That the real intention of the animal soul is L'Shem Shemayim, is God's agent. God created the animal soul. And he gives the example there of a king from the Zoyar, of a king who hires a harlot to go try to seduce his son, not to seduce, in order to bring out elicit from him this greater strength to resist. And that will prove the great nachas and joy that the king will have in his child. So it's doing something against its own will. So there's always going to be a resistance when there's a great revelation. The stakes are very high. So when the Altar began to teach Chassidus, not just the way the Baal Shem Tov taught it, very bikitzer, very short, but began to elaborate in ways that everybody could understand. It's a famous story of Pinchas Karitzer that some of the Chassidim were crying when the Alter Rebbe began to explain Chassidim that way because they felt now it's going to be, it can be hurt, it could be abused, the Torah, Chassidim, this purest part of Torah, people may not appreciate it, which is one of the reasons to maintain its integrity and pristine nature. You always learn Primus at Torah privately, biyachid. The Barizal began mitzvah legal the time has come to reveal this chachmah. The Baal Shem Tov heard from Mashiach that when will Mashiach come? When the wellsprings of Chassidus will be spread outward. And the Alter Rebbe took it to the next level, Chabad. And indeed, as Divine Providence would have it, they were, as they were talking about this, and some were wondering, a page of Chassidus was seen on the floor. And was seen, you see? It's not being appreciated. It's, it's, it's rolling on the floor. And the Alter Rebbe gave the famous marshal then. The child of a king who got ill, deathly ill, and no doctors could save him. Everyone gave up hope until one doctor said that maybe, that if you take the most precious stone in the king's crown and you crush it and you use the powder and mix it with water and you force it between the clenched teeth of the sick child, even though some of it may pour in the floor, but if a drop gets in, a few drops get in, it will save the child. The king didn't even hesitate. Of course. What is his whole kingdom worth if his child is not there? So Al-Tarebbe said, that's the, the precious stone is the primisater, the crown, the, crown, the jewel, the crown jewel of the king that makes the crown what it is. And because the Jewish people were ailing, due to the darkness of Golis and the suffering and everything that went on. As we know, Yisrael, Baal Shem Tov is called Yisrael. You call, you, you call someone by name when they're faint. The Jews were in a faint, a comatose state. So Yisrael awoke that. That's a in the Jewish people. And that's what Chassidus came to do. A blazing passion that comes from the fiery soul. To wake up what? The comatose child. So it's worth, even though the, much of the liquid will pour on the floor, even though a page is fly, flowing around on the floor. And maybe some people may not appreciate it, but it's necessary. The darker it is, you need to then have the deeper light. And the second explanation given for why this was revealed in later generations is because it's right before Mashiach's times. And out of Shabbos, Friday, before Shabbos, you taste from the foods of Shabbos. Again, the precious stone. And it's it's interconnected, these two reasons. In order to deal with that darkness, right before the darkness, the, right before the dawn is the greatest darkness. And that's why you need a special light, the special precious stone.
But this was challenged. Is it the right time? Is it appropriate? And the stakes were high because this will bring Mashiach. So you can imagine all the forces of the prosecuting angels stood up and said, no, maybe it's not the time. Maybe it's not appropriate. And that was the challenge. That was the imprisonment. So then the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid, the teachers of the, the Alta Rebbe, his Rebbe the Magid, and the Rebbe, and the Rebbe of the Magid, the Baal Shem Tev, visited the Alta Rebbe in prison. And he asked them, what should I do when I come out of prison? They said, you will be freed. What should I do? They said, should I continue doing what I'm doing? They said, not only that, you should increase. Increase in the spreading of chassidus. And that's why this is the beginning, as the Rebbe Rashab again says, of Yefutsu Meinasech Chutza. Yitzchak Rosh Hashanah. That's why it's the Rosh Hashanah of chassidus. Because it came after the challenge, and now the vindication more than a vindication. Now it's stronger than ever, and the Altarev began to indeed teach Chassidus in a far more broader and more expansive way, which of course was followed by his successors, the Mitla Rebbe, the Samach Tzedek, and the Rebbe Marash, the Rebbe Rashab, Friedrich Rebbe, and the Rebbe, seventh generation. So Yitzh Kislev is a monumental day in that sense. And that's why it's so relevant for us today, because it is, gives us the power Torah in general is the blueprint of creation. But Torah has the outer dimension of Torah, the body of Torah, and the soul of Torah, Nishmosedares. Primisa Torah. And Chsidis takes the entire Torah and demonstrates its vitality, its dynamic nature, not just the mechanics, but how it empowers us and how the relevance it has to us. As it says in the introduction to Tanya. That the whole tiny is based on that. To make it personally relevant and accessible, and especially as we're entering the modern age. Al-Tarebbe lived the beginning of the time of enlightenment, where the world was going into the modern world that would pose great challenges to faith and religion. The battle between faith and modernity, as some put it. Assimilation that would ravage the Jewish people, and in general the world. So Chassidus Magdim Nefuh Lamaka, the healing comes before the challenge, before the illness, to give us the tools, the resources, to appreciate all of Torah in a way that touches the soul in the deepest way. Not just mechanical Judaism, not just by rote, not just mitzvah sanoshim ulamoda, mechanical Judaism, robotic, that can also have the element of dissonance, that the Ganif prays to God before he goes to steal. How is that possible? So Chassidus explains, because a moon of faith can be makif. Chassidus comes to internalize it, to make it personal, make it exciting and relevant. So it can, it can counter all the passions and excitements of the material world, which are quite powerful and can seduce us and can entice us and tempt us. How do you fight with that? So yes, you can have restraint and exercise iskafia, but even more powerful, Chassidus explains, is creating a passion for Gedusha, for holiness and for God and for Torah and mitzvahs that's stronger than the passion for, the, for this material world and all its pleasures. But to do so, you need to understand Chassidus, learning about God, learning about your soul, learning about you. The best defense is offense. So this is your Kislev, and it's gift to us. Those 224 years later, it only gets stronger and stronger. The need is even more and more because we need that clarity, that direction, the compass. What is the purpose of your life? And even if you're completely shemitated in mitzvahs and you keep all the mitzvahs, you could also lose sight of that purpose and mission. Because as I said, you can do it robotically, culturally. Even if you do it with deep commitment. When you look siddhis and you, look, and you follow the dakiyach siddhis, it becomes a way of life, a path of life. That's not just a duty and obligation, but one that becomes the richest and the most powerful way of actualizing yourself and your purpose and mission in this world. Which brings me back to the 250th Yotzev of the Magid, Megzitcha Magid. 
since it's 250 years. Let me share one of the stories of the Mizritch Magid, the beautiful story. So he lived in Mizritch. One day, one of the great students of his who had never met him, but he was a wealthy man, a businessman, came to town. He wants to see the market. He would think he'd see the Magid would be living in some palace, in some mansion. He asked, where's the Magid? They pointed out a little hut, corner of the town. Okay, fine. He goes into, the, knocks on the door, and there he sees. First he didn't realize, is this the Magid? Yeah, the great Magid, in a small little room, sitting and studying, learning. He's taken aback. Great Magid. And his name was, <laughs> he had many students. Everyone knew his name, his reputation. And he says to the Magid, sees that he's disturbed. He says, what's bothering you? He says, you're living in this, like, like in poverty. You know, I'm, I'd be happy to help you in any way to live in a far better place where you, that's fitting, befitting a king like you. And the Magid says to him, what do you do for a living? So he says, I'm a businessman. I travel a few times a year to Leipzig, to the marketplace. I spend time there. Then I come back with, with, with the, the different goods and different materials that I purchase and sell it for a profit through the year. The Magid says to him, what does your home look like? My home? My home is befitting for a gvir like me. It's a mansion. And what about when you travel to where you go, to your business? He says, I travel. I stay in a small inn. Why you stay in a small inn? Why not in a mansion? He says, because I'm only there temporarily. It's not my real home. And if someone walks into you and says, how's it befitting for such a wealthy man like you to be living in a small little inn? He says, this is not my home. In the home is God Anders. And my home is completely different. So the Magad looked at him and said to him, yes, by me too. This world that we live in, this material world, is a small leg of a journey, a long journey. And my name is Ech Anders. My home, my real home, my spiritual home where I really, where Neshama belongs, it's not a small little hut. Tremendous lesson in understanding the material world and the spiritual world. We're here when we need to be here. But this is not our place. Our place is the divine. And our goal is to build a divine home in this material world. Not to compromise ourselves. Where the material homes become the, the dominant feature. No. The physical homes, and we should all have success and broad and mansions and, and palaces. But to know that the that home is going on, there's the real home is not the material world, it's the spiritual world. The goal is not to go to the spiritual world alone, but to fuse the two. As the Altareb explains in Tanya, to make a dire betachtenim, a home for God in this lowest of worlds. One of many, many stories. Zitcha Magit. Of course, the Alter Rebbe was a special of his students. He charged him with writing the Shulchan Aruch and with many other missions, as the other students of the Maggid said, that the Litvak, they called the Alter Rebbe the Litvak, they gave him the Smetana. He took the, 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 the richest part. But all the Tamidim, of course, the Tamidim of the Maggid, but the Alter Rebbe had a special relationship. And indeed, we see with the establishment of Chassidus Chabad, as the Alter Rebbe himself said, when he was questioned by other of his colleagues, is this the right approach? He says, this is what I was macabre, I received from the market. And in Yutas Kislev, all of it was vindicated. So the direct relationship between the Magid and the Altareb is clear. And as such, the Altareb developed and established Chassidus Chabad, a comprehensive system. And as I said before, the Rabbeim afterwards developed and further elaborated turned it into a blueprint for life that addresses every issue. This program, my life applied, would not exist were it not for Yutas Kislev. So obviously this is a day to be honored in general, specifically on this program. To address every issue, as the Alter Rebbe says in the introduction to Tanya, that in this book you'll find the answers to all dilemmas, to all questions in Avedis Hashem. The things between us and God, between us and each other, as the Alter Rebbe talks about. It doesn't just talk about how to daven, and how to learn, and how to do mitzvahs, but also how to treat each other. Dealing with things like vice, and jealousy, and hatred, and anger, 
and pettiness and haughtiness and depression. All this is addressed in Tanya, all with the principle that what? That we are here divine agents in this world to transform the world. We're not living in de- on defense, but we are here on the offense. The first line in Tanya, And what do we learn in the Gemara? That in Shama, before it comes to this world, takes an oath. And Mashbiyan also comes from the word Mashbiyan from Masbiyah. We're sated, we're saturated, we're fed, we're nourished. We're given an arsenal of all the power we'll need to heat Tzadik, to be a Tzadik. A righteous person in this difficult and dark world. And not the opposite. So with that, let's go to the next question. Since we begin reading the Tanya Yutas Kislev, which means begin the new Tanya cycle, Chitas, the way the Friedrich Rebbe separated the Tanya, so Yutas Kislev is we begin the beginning. What is a short synopsis of some of the Tanya's most important lessons? Can Rabbi Jacobson please give us a short synopsis of some of the Tanya's most important lessons? Thank you. Well, I mentioned a few, but briefly, the most important lesson of all is that you and I are charged with a mission to transform our lives and the world around us. And all of Teir Mitzvah was given to us for that reason. And as such, you have two souls within you, two voices. One is the animal soul, the selfish voice of survival of existence. The other is the transcendent voice of purpose and mission to serve. And there's a battle going on between the two. The Al-Tareb's Tanya is coming to teach us how we have all the resources we need to fight this battle and win. In the words of the introduction, as I said, the Sharblat, the cover page of Tanya, that this book is based on, the Posik, that this thing, this thing called Teira Mitzvah, is Korvelacha. Korv will translate means relevant. The Ficha, in your speech, in your mouth, in your heart, bring it into action. says, to explain well, Eich. How is it relevant to you? Not that this is just Teter Mitzvahs, but Teter Mitzvahs is relevant to your life, accessible. Addressing every aspect of life. In a long and short way, with God's help. So Tanya is essentially a, an operator's manual, a life operator's manual. Obviously, channeling all of Teter, Nigla Teter, Ampani Misa into an actionable plan of how to live up to your fullest potential for which you were created. There are so many points to be made, I'm not going to go through all of them, but that is the key thing to always remember. That you have the mission in life, and your mission is to express your divine soul in this world, in all your garments, in all your expressions, in your thought, speech, and action, and influence not just yourself, but the world around you and refine and transform the world into Adira B'Tachtenim, a home for God. Next question. Is the Tanya geared toward both men and women? Did the Alter Rebbe gear the Tanya toward dealing with women's struggles in Avedis Hashem, or only men? Seemingly, it is a lot easier for a woman to be a Benini than a man. Well, it's very clear that Tanya was written for all Jews. For all people, men and women, especially when the, Alter, the Rebbe emphasizes that Chassidus addresses the mitzvahs, the six mitzvahs, the Sheshari Miklat, as the Sefer Achinuch calls them, that are foundations that are timeless mitzvahs, not time bound, which means all Jews, men and women, are responsible for. Amuna, faith in God, Avas Hashem, Yiras Hashem. These are mitzvahs everybody has to fulfill. And therefore, the learning of Chassidus, including the written Torah of Chassidus, is for everyone. Indeed, 
the Rebbe emphasizes in a few places that women have a certain knack, certain sensitivity to appreciate this even more than men. Whether a woman could be more obedient than a man, perhaps, maybe less ego, less materialistic, selfish challenges. But the truth is all of us have a struggle. Animal soul, divine, and divine soul and animal soul is in all people, men and women, each in their own way. Here's not the place to go into a discussion now because it's not relevant to our per se, per se discussion of Yutas Kislev. But yes, the Yontif and therefore Tanya, Siddhis and so on is for everyone. Like in every case, case by case, just like within men themselves, with women themselves, people are at different stages in their lives, whether they're going to school, whether it's their students, or they're married people, or their parents or grandparents. Everyone in their stage in life can use chassidus to enrich and direct and guide and inspire them in every possible way. Okay. Why do we say that Tanya had a revolutionary idea of the Nefesh Elikis and Nefesh Abamis? The Gemara already talks about the Yetzer Tevi Yetzer Isn't it the same thing? Or another way the question was posed, is the idea of two souls a revolutionary innovation of the Tanya? What does it add to the fundamental Teir idea of the Yetzer Tevi and Yetzer So absolutely, the Teir talks about the Yetzer Tevi and the Yetzer in Chumash, which is the the evil inclination. In the first Pasha, Bereshit talks about the Tzalem Alekim, that every human being is created in the divine image. So it's very clear there's two inclinations. And full of Tereshit B'Ksav and Tereshit B'Apel, full of references to these two voices. Indeed, Yaakov and Esav, so all the commentaries, some of the commentaries explain that also corresponds to these two voices. Altareb was not machadish, the concept of two voices. As a matter of fact, he quotes clearly from the, from the Rab Chaim Vital, in the, end of, in the end of chapter one, or the second half of chapter one, Rab Chaim Vital speaks about, he quotes him straightly, that every Adam called Adam Yeshbaish Shtei Nefoshis, Nefeshel Bamis and Nefeshel Ikis. So he says exactly where it comes from. The Altareb is chidish is first of all explaining how they work and explaining all the details of their dynamics and where they reside and their functions and above all, how to actually deal with it, how to fight this battle. So there are many chidushim in Tanya. But like everything in Tayra, everything is based on what it says and then it comes to elaborate. al Rebbe says the whole Sefer Tanya is based on one posik. So is a chidush of Tanya, that posik? No, the posik is in the Tereshim Iksav, in Parsha Nitzav. Al-Tareb is coming to explain, Eichu Karev Meit, Leviat Hetev, explaining well how. And the same thing with the Nefesh Elikis and Nefesh is How does the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah work? And how can we overcome and win that battle, as the Al-Tareb elaborates in Tanya? So which brings us to the next question. Are the Al-Tareb's teachings his own chidushim or were they compilations of what he learned from his teachers? Including, of course, the Magad of Mizrich and the Baal Shem Tev. So again, on the Sharblad, what does the Al-Tareb write? That this Sefer is Mewsen, not me pisofrim, me pisofrim. Taken from books and from scribes. Some say the Seferim is referring to the, the Svarim are referring to the Maral and the Shalah, and the Sefer are referring to the Magid, the Bhabshemtav and the Magid. However, you explain it, he gives absolutely credit. But as the Rebbe has said, I remember Purim Tavshimem Gimel, that it's in the humility of the Alta Rebbe that it appears when you read it, Sefer Lukutim, that he's, a piece of him, he's like sort of compiling ideas. It's far more than compiling. So, but like everything, Talmud Vasagosil Lechadish Nitlamashim Sinai. What a great student is Machadish, innovates, was given to Moshe at Sinai. So there's no such thing as an innovation that Rebbe Rashab, humorously, amusingly writes in Kuntasei Tzachayim, not like the Chidushim of those that are so big, they weren't even given to Moshe at Sinai. 
The beauty of Teda is everything was given to Moshe Tzayin. However, then it was Klolim, it was general. And we don't always see the details. And still called Talmud Vasa Lechadish. Why is it a Chiddush? Because that student is the one that drew it out. And drawing it out, there's an innovation in it. This explains at length. And when you speak an idea, you start elaborating, especially when you're challenged and there are questions, new ideas come out. But the new ideas are all grounded and preserve the integrity of the original, the authenticity of the original. And that's what makes it so powerful, not the innovation part. That the innovation is, when you read it, you say, ah, now I understand that verse, now I understand what Nefesh Lekis Nefesh Abamis really means. So even though it was written before, you now appreciate it, because it's being explained, or being made relevant to our times and our circumstances, and this, the new idioms that we all go through in life. <clears throat> Is Tanya considered like a portrait of the Alter Rebbe? So this was in context of something I'd, written, I'd spoken about two weeks ago. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. With regards to last week's question, it was two weeks ago, regarding pictures of the Ovis, and aligned with your response, the story of the first picture of the Alter Rebbe came to my mind. I don't remember all the details exactly, but I believe it was in the times of the Rebbe Rashab. Essentially, when they originally came out with a famous picture we now have of the Alter Rebbe, someone commented, I'm not sure who, that the Tanya is the portrait of the Alter Rebbe. Perhaps you can fill it in some details, thanks. So first of all, yes, the portrait of the Alter Rebbe, which is a portrait, not a picture. The Refridic Rebbe writes in Atomim and verifies from all the Rabbeim that this is a legitimate portrait, the Rabbeim, that this is what the Alter Rebbe looked like. So number one, we have that. However, at the same time, like we look at a picture of a person, that's the picture of the face. Does it describe his whole essence? So those that have the Tfiyah sign that can see a face, perhaps can see the essence of the person in their face. But we know, the Ebrister says, I have instilled, I have imbued, I have invested myself, nafshi, my spirit, because in the words that I've given you, in the Torah, is that acronym. And Sadiqim Deim Lebeirim, Sadiqim, the same idea. So if you want the essence of the Alter Rebbe, a real portrait, it's not just this picture. It's, there's, a, a, there's value in the picture, as I'll discuss in a moment. But above all, it's what he teaches. That's where he invested his essence in there. Then there's the concept, that your eyes want to see the teacher in them. We say, that we learn something, it's as if the person who said it is standing before you. So there's power in visual seeing your teacher as he teaches. In this case, seeing a picture of the teacher. And there's an idea of sometimes contemplating what he looks like. Standing right near you makes it more real, more, much more palpable and tangible. But it's not the picture alone. It's with the ideas and the teachings. So in that sense, it is the portrait. There may be a source for it. I, I don't recall if somebody has a source in the Sikhs or somewhere that they say the Tani is the portrait, perhaps. But when we have both... So we have the best of both worlds. Obviously, the the, teichen, the content of what the Alter Rebbe taught is the key thing in Yutas Kislev, not just looking at a picture, but to also learn what the Alter Rebbe wrote and what he taught. Now, if the picture helps inspire, and the picture is definitely the picture of a saintly man like that. So by all means, like I said, looking at the face of a teacher always helps. Did the Alter Rebbe write and edit all the contents of the Tanya or some, par or some parts added by his students who heard the teachings from him? Tanya was written from beginning to end by the Alter Rebbe. There's a Madura Kama of Tanya, a first draft, which the Rebbe printed in the later years in the Mems, in the early, early 80s. And then the Alter Rebbe added to it, but it was all written by the Alter Rebbe. That's what's unique about the Tanya. Like Shulchan Aruch and Chostam Teda. The Maimorim of Teda, Lukut Teda, and the Maimorim printed in this series called Maimori Admurazakin, that was mostly written by Chsidim Manichim, who heard the Maimorim. Some places it says, Loshan Rabbeinish Mesedin Ba'atzmei, in Teda, for example, Chaisada. 
some other places. But generally speaking, Truma and other places. But generally speaking, the Altaritanya was written from beginning to end. It was not based on. Now, Tanya itself, we know, has five parts. There's Lakuta Amorim, the Shaykhid Amunah, Geras Hatshuva. Those are obviously written by the Altarev from beginning to end. Geras HaKedish and Quintasachin are letters that the Altarev wrote, and they were compiled by the publishers, the Altarev's children, grandchildren, and published in Tanya with the rest of the first three sections. But that also was written by the Altarev in letters. That's what's called the Geras HaKedish. Since we're continuing the Yutas Kislev theme, why is there seemingly a de-emphasis of Chassidus Chabad on Dveikus and a greater emphasis on Bittl? How did the Balatanya include his teacher in the Balshemta's focus on Dveikus in his Chassidus? Another person wrote it in a different way, a similar question, saying like this, did the Altarebbe, is there a greater emphasis of Chassidus Chabad on Bittl and on Dveikus? I... Um, hardly think that any of us are experts in answering that question unless the Rabbeim themselves say it. I've never seen that. I think there's an emphasis on Bitlan, emphasis on Dveikus. As a matter of fact, Habahataya, they're interdependent. Firstly, the Barshamtov talks plenty about Bitl. It's a basis of Chassidus in general. And the Altarab is plenty about Dveikus. So I'm not sure where this impression is coming from. That's what Vedvekus means, even the second Pedic in Tanya, in Tanya the Alter Rebbe says, Vedovkaboy, Vedovkaboy, Tamid Chachom, the idea of Dvekus, Tamid Chachom, Dvekus Tashem. Entire Maimorim on that. Vekus means to cleave, to connect, to connect with. How do you do that? Through Bittl. When you suspend your own self and your ego, to do what? To connect with to something greater than you, which is Hashem. So they go hand in hand. Are there some places where there's more emphasis in Bittl, some Amorim, and some in Dveikus? Same thing with many things. There's some Amorim more focused on Ava, and some more on Yir. And obviously you need both. They complement each other. And the same thing with other aspects of Avedis Hashem. Since we're diverse human beings, we have different tools, different resources that we use to uh, connect. So I don't think that there, I would put anything saying there's more emphasis on one another. The emphasis this is a very full-bodied entity with so many different maimonim and so many different points. It would be like saying the Torah, Torah Shabbat emphasizes more one mitzvah than another. Obviously, certain mitzvahs are fundamentals, Havas Yisrael, but every mitzvah is important and we need each one to refine different parts of who we are. So they're all connected with each other. And um, okay, here's an uh, next question. The Alter Rebbe's first name was Shneir. We are taught that it means two lights, Shnei Oir, the light of Nigla and the light of Chassidus. Is there a lesson here for us that Nigla and Chassidus are of equal importance? Well, the lesson is as the, the Rebbe and the Rabbeim tell us, Shnei Oir, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, Vashochan Oroch. It was both a master in, of Tanya, which is Er HaPnimis Ater, Er and Er of Nigla, Shulchan Aruch. All the Rabbeim obviously had both, but by the Alter Rebbe was so prominent. He wrote those two magnum opus. And they complement each other, body and soul, like we discussed. That's Shnei but then it goes on, Shnei Zalman. The Kavona, that you have to be Mamshuk, the two lights of Tera, the two luminaries of Tera, into time and space, to bring that Teda into the time and space of existence. That's how it's explained here. I'm sure there are many different interpretations that we can give in what the main Shnei Erd is, but that's the, the basic one. Okay, here's the next, <laughs> and I'll use this as, I don't know, the final question. It's an interesting question that came in. You don't say Lahavdalan a Jew, but it says, Did Karl Marx borrow concepts from Tanya from his con- for his communist manifesto? So, first I ever hear that. Um, well, they, first of all, whether he ever saw Tanya. And if he did, would they even respect it? 
Uh, would be interesting if someone can point out ideas. There are ideas that I myself have noted in different talks I've given, I've written papers and articles on the topic whether Judaism is socialism or capitalism. So there's no question that when you learn, for example, Peter Klamath Zayin and Tanya, where he talks about money, Chayenafshe, and it's a life like the Chayenafshe, like it's like soul energy. So there are ideas in Marx where he talks about this idea. Where he took it from Tanya, I don't know. Or can we say Tanya was mamshir the idea in Avir Elam and, uh, and therefore made it easier for people to pick up these ideas. But fundamentally Marxism, and I'm not talking now any of the stereotypes around it, its teachings, even though on one hand it does talk about the alienation that materialism creates and capitalism creates, but it's hardly a godly doctrine exactly. Religion is the opiate of the masses, Marx writes. So that he definitely did not take from time. Are there some ideas? There are some ideas of a utopian world, the idea of not allowing materialism to control us, that in the world of capitalism, we are not at home with ourselves because we're alienated from ourselves and from the product and from other people and from employer and employee, the inequalities that that creates. But in Teirach, Siddha's approach to that is the answer to that is Dukka, charity. Not just collective, uh, collectivization where the collective where no one has private property and no one owns anything. The Teirach does not advocate that. The Teirach absolutely advocates private property except for Kahanim and Levim. And the idea of wealth is a blessing. And just, so even though Marx's ideas were very attractive to some, but we see and his critique sometimes very, very uh, on target, but he did not offer a viable option. That worked. And anything, it created even more corruption, giving a few people the power over the group. Whereas capitalism has its vices and its difficulties. As Friedrich Rebbe once said, he was on a train, they asked him, they were arguing about, a group of intellectuals arguing about economic systems. And they asked the Friedrich Rebbe, what does he feel? Capitalism, socialism, Marxism, the different ways. He said, Tater's Tater's MS. Tater has the best of all of them. I wrote a paper on this topic, more detail if you want to read it more about comparing Marxism, socialism, capitalism, and Tater, which is based on Chassidus and the Chassidus approach. You can find it at meaningfullife.com. I think I believe it's called Spirituality and Wealth. And there you may find there are, as I said, there are thoughts. But I can't say and trace and say Marx took something from Tanya. But it's an interesting discussion regardless. Okay. Now this is just touching the tip of the iceberg, this Yutas Kislev, Gefabreng, for hours and hours of what Alter Rebbe contributed. But I want to just say this before we move to some other topics. That Alter Rebbe and Yutas Kislev, 224 years ago, is relevant today more than ever. And I see it in my personal life, I see it in the work I do all the time. Because Teda itself, when I say Teda, what I mean by itself, without Chassidus, without Primisa Teda, yes, if you're a Kabbalah Selnik, you follow the rules and it will give you the best life. It's our life and our sustenance. You follow God's guidelines. God is the engineer of life, the cosmic engineer. So you live by God's laws, you'll live the best possible life. However, we have challenges. We have a Yetzirah, and we have an animal soul, and things that tempt us, and things that distract us. And we have a world that has a lot of unhealthy elements and dysfunctional elements. So in the best of worlds, yes, you don't have any resistance. But we do have resistance, and we do live in a dark world. And many of us grow up in homes that are not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but some are less perfect than others. So we need not an additional God forbid Teda, but we need a deeper understanding of Tate and appreciating its value. How many people have asked me and say, what's Tate relevant today? Pasha Mitzayda, Sazriya, Besamigdash, Tumatara. Without Primisa you can't really understand that relevance today. Then you're learning, you're learning about laws that happened many years ago when the temple stood. So there are principles in Tate that are timeless. Love, virtue, charity, kindness, honoring, respect, gratitude. But so many other things remain, seem not relevant to us. Seem. You learn chassidus, you suddenly learn the primis that it's all the neshama of your life. 
It's an x-ray of your soul. That's what the Tater is giving you. Every detail in Tater, every specific, is telling you about who you are and what you're made of, your DNA. So that's one thing. Secondly, it talks about not just action, how to be a servant to God, which is the basis, the foundation, Kabbalah sale, but also how to personalize it, how to make it come alive in your life. Each of us is unique. We're not just conformists. We're not just herd mentality. How it fits into your personal life. Your individual personality, your individual strengths. So you don't have a life of dissonance and compartmentalization or fragmentation even. That here you are person in the world and here you are the Jew, the Torah person. But the Torah is fully integrated in everything you do. Which leads to a seamless connection between your mission and purpose and everything you're involved in. Not just Tivrik Dushin, not just the holy moment, Shabbos, Yom Tov, Mitzvah, Teda, but your work and your travel and wherever you go, every footstep is led by God, the divine providence, as Siddhis explains. So essentially it's a full comprehensive approach to life that makes you feel integrated in living up to the ambassador you are, chosen, the indispensable soul sent to this world that you are. To transform yourself, your environment, and the world around you. Yutes Kislev is the Rosh Hashanah of that. And learning Chsidis, Limadachsidis, Darkeachsidis, living it, learning it, and living it is the key to how we celebrate Yutes Kislev. So, this is a great opportunity to make Achlata. If you haven't learned Chsidis yet, to begin learning. If you're learning, to learn more to learn with more emphasis, a new class, a new, a, new, a new approach, to make it even more relevant, to make it even more personal. Teaching it to others, spreading your chutzah minasech chutzah. And the chutzah begins within our own chutzah, our own midas, our own even animal soul, and then the chutzah around us, to the farthest reaches where we can reach people. And I've seen, I testify this as personal experience, the effect that it can transform lives by giving us that sense of purpose and giving us the blueprint, which is Tehra and Mitzvahs, to bring the Geula and transform this world into a dira a home for God in this world, a world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. With the little time we have left, let me just cover a few other things, some follow-up, but the rest I will try to reserve for the next class. Okay. Since it's also this week is Pasha Vayeshev, so let's talk a few minutes about Pasha Vayeshev. So let's begin, of course, Vayeshev, Yaakov. Um, this is the story after Yaakov, 20 years by Lovan, then he has to confront Esav. So now Vayeshev, Yaakov, now he's settling down back in Eretz Yisrael. So Vayeshev means to settle thinking after all the ordeals, 20 years by Lovan, the fighting with, with Esau from the pregnancy, that Yaakov could finally settle down and be calm. So Rashi says, Bikish Yaakov Leisha B'Shalva. Yaakov requested, wanted to have some peace and calm in his life. Not, but Tzadikim in this world cannot have calm and peace. So here's the big question. The big question. Why could Jacob not have common peace in his life? Why not forgive him that? And what happens? After all he went through, now his brother, the brothers of Yosef are jealous of him, and they intend to kill him. Instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery, but Yaakov is told that he was killed. Now the rest of his life, the next 22 years, until he meets Yosef, he's living with that pain of losing his son favorite son, special son. What's wrong? Why can't he have some shalva? Later, when Pari asks Yaakov about his life, how old are you? He says, my life has been short and painful. Compared to Yitzchak, who lived 180 years, and Avram, 175 years, Yaakov lived 147 years, but difficult years. So why? And the answer is because at Tzaddik, is not in isolation. 
he is the captain of the ship. He's part of his generation. As long as the generation is not at peace, he cannot be at peace. It's not a punishment. It's his collective responsibility. It's like the captain of the ship stays with the ship. So as painful as it is to hear this, Yaakov endured and lived through the pains of the time. Now why the brothers were jealous of Yosef is a discussion of its own which deserves, and we've talked about it in previous years, it was obviously from a deeper place, the threat, feeling Yosef was rebelling against the idea of the Melech, which is Yehuda, Mashiach, as the Shalah explains, or the various uh, different explanations. But as long as it's a world that is not yet a world of Mashiach, no, you can't just say, I'm going off, I don't want to say the words, I'm going off to retirement. Obviously, that's not what Yaakov was looking for. Yaakov wanted to serve God. He was a Markova, and he served God even in that pain. But you cannot be at peace because the world is not at peace. Your children are not at peace. We have to fix things, repair things. And everything that Yaakov did those years repaired and helped pave the way that the day will come when Yaakov will be at peace in this world together with all the Ovis and all the Emois and all the Jewish people. So it's a tremendous lesson in life that when we go through difficulties and realize, besides the fact that the difficulties ultimately are meant to lead us to greater places, but what it means is you're experiencing real life. You're not detaching yourself to just protect your own skin. Obviously, we beg and pray to God give us the minimal amount of challenge. But the challenges we have, we have to realize we're part of it. And we have the power to overcome it. Can, how could imagine, who could imagine Yaakov's pain losing Yosef? But then they meet, they reconcile. You can imagine the great joy. And the last 17 years of Yaakov, he does have peace. In Mitzrayim. But he has, V'yichi Yaakov, Beretz Mitzrayim, Shvaseshona, as the Mepharshim say there, the Balaturim, Shvaseshona, 17, Gematri Toiv. Those were the best years. Davke Mitzrayim. Still not a perfect world. But there was a taste of it. So it's an understanding of the connection, like we spoke about when we spoke about the, the Mitla Rebbe, Yud Kislev, the story of the Mitla Rebbe that he had to find within himself some subtle, subtle form that was lacking to be able to help another who was lacking it in a much more amplified and expanded fashion. Because he's connected. We're not disconnected, especially at Sadiq and Rebbe. So that's one explanation. Why did King David have to come later in the Parsha of Yeshua? We have the story of Yehuda and Tamar. So someone asks, why did King David have to come from improper relationships such as Yehuda and Tamar giving birth to Peretz? Was it to trick the Samach Mem so he couldn't interfere? It's a big question that brought in Sfarim. Same thing you find light, Moyav is a child from Light's daughter. And it was a child of Light and his daughter, which came also from something that was illicit, even though it was before Martin Tera. So it's a different category, but still could have been done very differently. So Chassidus explains, and Svarim explain, that when you want to transform darkness, it has to come from darkness. Like the story of why Avadja. Avadja is the greatest prophecy. is the prophecy of Avadi was a ger. So the Gemara asks, why Avadi? More than Yeshai and Yecheskel and Yirmiyo and other great prophets. A ger? He came from Edem. Because it says, The axe that cuts down the tree comes from the tree. The wooden handle. Because to cut down a tree has to come from the tree itself. That's called transformation. Mashiach is coming not just to bring light to the world, but to transform the world, to transform the nations, to transform even the darkest of the dark. So that's one of the explanations. Another explanation, yes, sometimes the way to go on under the radar. But however you explain it, it's, it, it can initially be controversial. But when you think about it, and we're not talking about that we have a right to go in that place, things that Hashem led that way, was in order to transform from within. And that's why Dovid HaMelech comes his grandmother's Rus, coming from Moyav, and Peretz, coming from Yehuda and Tamar. 
besides all the other explanations of Yehuda and Tamar's relationship, what, what that meant, the deeper meaning behind it. But that is the basic explanation. How, what's the relevance to us is not that we, God forbid, can pursue such relationships. That we have to understand that sometimes after the fact, when something happens, you can always transform anything, even the darkest, to the greatest forms of light. Right, so it also says, Mashiach, where is he going to come from? Zdoim. Of all places, Zdoim. Because the same idea is the transformation from the dark that brings to the greatest light. Okay. Let's do a few little follow-up. And I wanted to cover a lot more, but as always, time, time, time. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for your inspiring talk yesterday, Silent in the Face of Tragedy. Rabbi Jacobson addresses a thousand shluchas in the face of tragedy, which was regarding the tragedy that still we're all praying for, complete refor shlema, for the events that happened in, uh, in the Caribbean, St. Thomas, Fetterman family, loss of the daughter, and now we're praying for the mother, for a complete refor shlema. So I gave a talk that day, the very day when the tragedy happened, to around 1,000 shluchas. So this is the letter that, this letter is referring to that talk. You reminded us that the Rebbe identified us as the righteous women, the Noshim Sitkanis, as the leaders who will, who will bring the Geula, who will lead us into the Geula. You encouraged us to find something we haven't done till now, something outside of our comfort zone to do something different. I would like to invite the Shluchim to follow the Shluchis in the vital initiative of Kabbalah Samalchus, Remember 1991 when the Rebbe received a box containing hundreds of signatures accepting the Rebbe. The Rebbe's response was, well done, this activity should have great success and you should increase and strengthen it until you go to Hashem and Sion with a complete redemption. Blessing and success, great success. Here's a, and, and this writer writes, here's a 50 second, 52 second video of that awesome occasion. If you want a link, just send us an email at chassidusapply.com would be happy to send you the link. Note, but leave your email address there because it's, without your email address, we, can't, we don't know who you are. Notice the Rebbe doesn't put a time limit on the initiative, increase and strengthen it till Gula. There's no king without a people. Thank you for all you do for the community. Okay, but the main thing should be the complete Rufo Shlema. And with that, we... Um, also honor this class and dedicate the class that all the events there should turn out with a miraculous total recovery. Okay. To move a little hefsek I'll make between this important, um, very important issue. So now I spoke also last week about the World Cup. So here someone writes, here in Argentina, soccer is part of our life, even for us Jews. People have been waiting for a long time to be champion again. Our best player is called Messi, very similar to the world of Messiah's Mashiach. If Messi wins, is, is it, it's a good sign of Mashiach coming. Well, I would be careful with making such associations. Mashiach is Mashiach, Messi is Messi, La'avdil. Um, I'm very happy if Argentina wins. May all the Jews celebrate, may everybody celebrate. We discussed the World Cup itself and whether it's appropriate or not, but if it's used L'Shem Shemayim, you could get, learn something from it, great. No, I would think Mashiach coming is not going to be based on the winning of a soccer match, even a World Cup. It's going to be based on the winning of the Nefesh of the Nefesh Abamis, the divine soul over the animal soul, and us doing what we have to do to bring the Gu'ula. So that's my comment on that. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you for your always insightful classes on Chassidus. And other topics that are viewed through the prism of Chassidus. Regarding the question why Jews would be light skinned if they came from the Middle East, you explained that perhaps there were conversions and other factors that perhaps they migrated and changed their features. I would respectfully say that we don't really need to come to these explanations. If you look at the light color, if, if you look at the light color, if you look at the Turkish people, for example, President Erdogan, or even Syrian President Bashar Assad, Dimakshimoy, you notice they are light-colored skin. Most say that this, that, that was an area our Ovis and Imois came from. Some claim that towns that are similar in name to Kharan, a local, say that that's where it was. 
If you look at the Taliban, and specifically the Pashtun tribe, they are very similar to the Jewish Ashkenazi features, and are not really dark-skinned, only very slightly tanned as they are in the desert sun. It's clear their skin color is not really dark. Clearly you can see that the region has tribes that are far fair-colored. If you Google these images, you can notice this. Thank you for the great your great classes on a wide variety of issues. Okay, thank you for these comments. I mean, this is something that should be studied properly. Remember, there's different regions in the Middle East itself. You go more to the south, like Yemen, it's darker-skinned. Very hard to really establish complete facts because we were not there then. But there have been many people who have written about it, and thank you for your comments. Someone asks, where did the Rebbe comment on the Teferis Yisrael that I quoted at the end of Kedushin about Moshe Rabbeinu's picture? So there's a story there about that they saw a picture of Moshe Rabbeinu and, and it looked like a person who had a difficult person. And he worked on himself to change it. So the Rebbe did speak about it in the Echidus of Rabbonim Roshim, second day to Shredish Kis of Tovshim Mem Dalet, Tovshim Dalet Mem. That would be 1983. And he essentially brings from Seder HaDeiris that there's different opinions on the matter. But clearly the Rebbe negates it by saying we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was born, it says in the Pesach, the whole house filled with air, with light. This was at his birth. So it's not something he came to later. So he negates this, uh, this approach. And you can look up that Sikha, that Yechidus, uh, where the Rebbe talks about it more. Let's see if there are any other follow-ups. There are, but we will now conclude. Let me conclude, being that Yutas Kislev is coming in two days, that should be Lashana Teva, to each one of you, to each person. May we live up to fulfill our mission, fulfill our shlichus that was charged to us, to bring to every corner of the world. Yitzhak Kislev empowers us with that. And may that lead right into Hanukkah, which is also bringing light into the darkness, transforming the darkness into light. With the Gula Amitiz Vashlema, as Mashiach promised the Balshamtav, Likushifutsa Minasacha Chutsa. This has been Chsidis Applied, My Life Chsidis Applied, Special Yutas Kislev Edition, Episode 428. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Be well, be blessed. May it be a Gebench Tiyar, a Gebench Tachedish, a month of Gula, Gula Hamitiz Vashlema. This program is brought to you by My Life. Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.